Thank you, Nate. And Brian and all the other musicians appreciate that. Today we have a special treat. Jim Myrick's going to come up and speak in just a moment. And he is a missionary for our African Inland Mission. I think I have that. AIM, you've seen that term probably, and has a great story. Our connection to him is through Dave Scott, and there have been educators who have worked over the years together, and he's going to come and tell his story in just a little bit. As always, we begin, though, our service with a time of prayer, and I don't need to tell you that we're fighting about everything again. I wish I could say something different every week, but every week it's the same story, different details. This is just the year that Americans get to fight, and... Rather than give you my opinion on all things moral and spiritual right now, let's just say this. We obviously need some direction from God. Our morality is twisted. What we think of as right and wrong is strained. And we've decided that as a people, we no longer need to work together. And there is no future for people that have decided not to work together. So let's pray for our nation, shall we? Join me. Heavenly Father, we gather in worship today. We need your help, Father. As we've said so many times, we need your guidance. We need wisdom and direction from your word. We need the calming influence of your spirit. Lord, you've seen the news. You understand all things, of course. And we tremble. Our people and our courts are at odds in so many ways. These are life and death issues. We pray for guidance. Help us to value life, all life. Help us to treat each other with respect and courtesy. Help us to follow that simple golden rule that Jesus gave us, to treat people like we like to be treated. Help us, Father, to resist the trends towards violence in our culture. Show us how we might defeat that trend. We know that as we talk about these big issues, that the daily struggles continue. And so, Father, we pray for people that struggle. Give comfort and strength that only comes from your spirit. We pray, Father, that the church would stand up and be the church to not get so caught up in political and moral movements that we forget who people are, that we forget who we are in Christ. Help us, Father. We tend to focus on our stuff and our issues. We're going to hear today from a man who works in another land far from ours, whose needs are completely different. Help us to remember that in this world, there are literally hundreds of millions that struggle to eat, and just to survive. Give us a willingness to share what we have with others. And Father, we ask you to work with those who serve you in lands far away. As always, we ask you to be with our first responders, our soldiers and their families. Give them comfort and peace in their loss. Protect them in their services. Use them to save lives, Father. As always, we thank you for all that is good. We know that it is gift from you. And we thank you. Be with us now in worship and teach us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jim, why don't you come? Did I turn it on?
I'm on, all right. So, um, so that's who's going from my family. Uh, I actually have five children, uh, but they, uh, my older kids have grown up. And so I was uh, speaking at a church one time and they said, why aren't you taking your other kids with you? Why are you leaving children here? Well, they're adults. That's why we're leaving them here. So that's my wife, Shelly, and my son, Levi. Levi is 16 years old. Um, he will be a junior when we get back to Kenya. So, uh, and we have spent a total of five years in uh, Kenya. So, uh, we work at a school called Rift Valley Academy. Uh, it, is, it really is literally located on the edge of the Great Rift Valley. Um, and so, we're at about 7,500 feet. The weather is perfect there. Um, everybody thinks of Africa as extremely hot. We're not. We're, a hot day for us is uh, in the maybe low 80s. And a cold day for us is in the 50s. So, what you don't think of 50 as being cold until you realize you have no heat in your house and you live in a stone house and 50 is going to be the high for the day and the low for the day and it's going to rain all day. Then 50 is cold. But um, it's not cold like cold here. So, that's who we are. Um, I'm a school teacher. Um, I'm nobody special, guys. I am just like you. I am just like you. God has a call on our lives. And we need to have ears to hear him. But it doesn't mean we're somebody special. It just means we're listening to God. That's all it means. So I want to start out um, um, with a Bible story. So go ahead to the next slide, please. So this is the triumphal entry. And as I go through the triumphal entry, I want to talk about the characters in the story and who they are, what their job is. And then we'll come back to that at the end. So, uh, we start out with the two. After Jesus said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethage and Bethany on, uh, at the hill, hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. And so we start out in this story with Jesus clearly sending a couple of disciples to do a specific task. There's a clear scent here. And there's a little bit of a, hey, and you might run into some difficulty because you're going to go untie this colt and the owner might show up and ask you about it. And here's what you're going to do if he does that. Okay, go ahead to our next slide. So then we come to the owner. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. So here we have the owner of this animal and two people show up to untie it. Now maybe he knows them, maybe he doesn't. It doesn't tell us if he knows who the disciples are or not. But they show up and untie his colt without permission from him. And when he asks them about it, they say the Lord needs it and he willingly gives. 
he willingly gives the cult for the Lord to use. They brought it to Jesus through their cloaks on the coat, colt, I'm sorry, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Here you have his disciples. You have people who are working to follow Christ and they see Christ at work and they recognize that God is doing something and they glorify God in that. They don't just let it pass. They jump in and they glorify God for what's happening. And then we have one more group of people. Go ahead to our next slide. There we go, the Pharisees. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The Pharisees are right there. They're right in the presence of God. And they miss what he's doing. They're so bound up in what they want to have happen, what they expect to have happen, that they miss it when God is right there working in their midst because they're trying to follow something else. All right? So let me talk about the school a little bit. Go ahead and jump to the next slide. This is Africa Inland Missions, and the, the blue countries are the countries that we can tell you that Africa Inland Mission works in. And, and the reason I put it that way is because African Inland Mission works in more countries, but they're what's called closed countries. It's not illegal for them to be in those countries as missionaries. And so there are countries up in northern Africa where missionaries are at work, but mission work is not a legal activity in those countries. Those people still need the gospel. Okay? Some of the kids I'm going to talk about, their families live there. So go ahead. Uh, that's where we're headed. So uh, we actually purchased tickets this week to head back to Africa. We will leave on August 4th. We'll get there on August 5th. So it's about, um, and we actually got really good tickets. I think we have about 20 hours of travel time. So, and that's, that's really good. So it's a long ways from home. It's a long ways from home. And one of the things that we're doing different than we've done before is we're leaving four children here. Now, we have left kids here before, but not that many. Okay, and so pray for us as we go. It's a long ways to be from your kids if they're struggling with something. Okay, yes, there's WhatsApp. Technology today, we can jump on the phone and talk to them. Free, if you've got internet. Okay, it's an amazing thing. Uh, when my older brother was in the Comore Islands, it was $5 a minute to talk to him on the phone. Now it's free on the internet, okay, which is absolutely amazing. It's a long ways from home. Go ahead. This is the school in 1912, 
Okay, um, and that building is actually still on use on campus. Uh, it was the cornerstone of this building, as we think about the history of the country and where the country's at, uh, was actually laid by a man uh, who saw a lot of struggle in America. Teddy Roosevelt was on safari in Africa and laid the cornerstone to this building. Okay, so one of the past presidents, Rough Riders, you kind of know the history of who Teddy Roosevelt is, and yet he was actively involved in African Inland Mission, getting into the, some of the countries that they got into. He was actively a part of helping this mission get a good start. African Inland Mission began in the 1890s, 1893 if I remember correctly, uh, by a guy named uh, Cameron Scott who, um, and they sent out, if I remember right, like seven missionaries in the first two years, um, virtually all of the missionaries were dead or back at home, okay? So the founder of the mission and his sister both died uh, within the first year. Um, so the mission agency's like, hold it, what do we do now? And so they regrouped and they sent out a new group of missionaries. And one of the things they learned through all of that was for missionaries to be on the field, for missionaries to stay on the field, particularly in the 1890s, early 1900s, they needed the school for their children. That's still true today. That's still true today. There's missionaries working in places where school simply is not available for their kids. Um, the, the natives will do school under a tree. Uh, or, or they'll do school, uh, a one-room schoolhouse kind of thing that's not going to prepare their kids for university in America. Go ahead to the next slide. That's the school now. Go ahead. That, we have an elementary building, and so there's about uh, 100 kids in the elementary building. Go ahead to the next slide is the high school. Um, and that's flag raising in Kenya by uh, Kenyan law you have to have flag raising once a week so like we do the Pledge of Allegiance here in America they'll do flag raising once a, once a week at any public school and so we do flag raising it's a chapel time so we'll have somebody who will speak to the kids um, about Christian life Christian growth uh, but we sing the national anthem and things like that uh, that's part of our student body um, the school has Somewhere between five and six hundred kids, 350 of those kids are boarding students, meaning their parents are working someplace where there's not a school available to them. Uh, I believe the next is the video, if I remember correctly. Yes, there's a video. I'm going to sit down, I'm going to let you watch this video, and then I'll come jump back up here. I'm a student at Rift Valley Academy. My parents are missionaries in Africa. I am a student at Rift Valley Academy. I am a student at Rift Valley Academy. Rift Valley Academy is a boarding school located in the Great Rift Valley of Africa. I'm a church planter among the Kudia people. I'm sure there's less than 1% uh, evangelical uh, Christians among the Kudia. They've been overlooked. We have two kids at RVA, soon to have three. As a family, we work amongst the Maasai people. Timothy has a strong missionary attitude. And since he came to RVA, 
we feel that he has actually grown in his faith and we can see that when he comes home because he wants to be out there working with the Maasai and sharing his faith. I feel that RVA staff are doing an exceptional job at developing our kids spiritually. They not just are caring for our kids, but they love our kids. And they go the extra mile to see them mature and grow even spiritually. I think the most important part of my job is making sure that I love these kids. RVA is a community designed for growth. Everything leads to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm independent. I am fun. I have strong relationships. I have a dynamic worldview. I have seen the world. I am responsible. I am loved. And I really feel that God is, is using RVA. To whom much is given, much is required. And I feel like God has given me so much here at RVA. In these next couple of years and the rest of my life, God is going to ask so much of me. So I feel like, I mean, this is, this, is, this is where it's at. This is probably one of the best places a teenager can live. A fully accredited American school, RVA has set a high standard of academic excellence. I'll never forget opening the envelope that the first kid in 100 years had been accepted to Harvard. From that point, we've had 25 or 30 kids be accepted to those schools. But what it's done more than anything is break out the ceiling and have kids know they can go any place God's called them to be. Within an African context, Rift Valley Academy seeks to disciple, nurture, and educate students towards Christian maturity for the glory of God. truly humbled by the caliber of staff who give up otherwise very lucrative, comfortable jobs to come out here and teach our kids and love our kids and help raise our kids. We couldn't do our job unless they were here. We decided to send Laura to RVA. We knew that for her to be able to succeed well as she continued on after high school and to college and further in life, we wanted her to be able to be involved in things like sports and music and academics where she was being challenged not only by a teacher, a trained teacher, but also by her fellow students. RVA is teaching them a lot about what it means to be a leader and how to do that amongst your peers. Because our kids are here at RVA, they have great opportunity for things that they couldn't do at home. The internet and computer, the opportunities they have here. Science labs, my kids love science and biology. We're so grateful for RVA because we can offer them more. you're a stronger person. I will change the world. I will love. I will impact my culture. I will seek the lost. I will love. I will never stop growing. I will lead. I will follow Christ. I will love. Okay, the staff have been a really big part of my life. 
they are just more than teachers. They really get involved in our lives spiritually and emotionally. They inspire me to want to grow in Christ. They've just helped me and nurtured me in my uh, spiritual faith and show me who God really is. And it's been a blessing just because um, I've just been surrounded by people who truly love God and it's just helped me to become the person that I am today. At a school like RVA, with such a broad scope of activity and opportunity, it takes an army of behind-the-scenes support staff to keep it running smoothly. This is the place where we pray that each student will grow in Christ and will develop a biblical worldview. We want to equip them academically and socially to glorify God in their future lives. RVA. What they say to us over and over again is we're here for you. We're, we're not called to your ministry. We don't know how you do it, but we're here so that you can do it. They minister to us by loving our kids. We love the RVA staff and not just because we know them, but because our kids love them. I'm a missionary in Africa. I'm a missionary in we Africa. We are missionaries in Africa. I'm a missionary in Africa, and we couldn't do our ministry if it wasn't for Rift Valley Academy. And I couldn't be here if it wasn't for Rift Valley We couldn't Academy. do our ministry We couldn't be here if it wasn't for I don't know how we would survive out here if it wasn't for I couldn't be here if it wasn't for Rift Valley Academy. I've seen that video 20 times and it still excites me. Um, yeah, the, the children need a school where their parents are working. So uh, I'm going to take you through a little bit uh, of the school. So this was my class the last time I was there. They're fifth graders. Um, and uh, you can tell by looking at the picture, they're just as goofy as a bunch of fifth graders would be. So of that group of kids, uh, there's 17 kids. Six of them are boarding students. So six of them are living away from home at school. Um, it represents, uh, let's see, Korea, America, uh, and Australia and Kenya and Tanzania as far as nationalities go. That's the nationalities in the class. So uh, a very mixed group. Um, we teach in English. Go ahead to the next slide. Um, of this group, um, the little girl sitting on the front row uh, is adopted by missionaries. She's Tanzanian um, and she is a boarding student. Okay, uh, Amani is her name, and she, um, all of her cousins have attended RVA, okay? Her, her mom and dad are missionaries in, in, in Tanzania. Um, she has aunts and uncles that were also missionaries there. Uh, one, of the, one of the students that you saw in the slides, or in the movie, and one of the parents uh, were her cousins and her uh, uncle. So, uh, she really was looking forward to coming to school. This was her first year away from home in fifth grade, okay? She came at the same time when her older brother 
could come as a seventh grader so that she didn't come by herself. Okay? Uh, go ahead to the next slide for me. Uh, this family, um, Eddie Anderson is the dad. I had the son, Silas, in my class, and it was his first year at boarding school also. Okay? Uh, the Andersons live in northern Kenya. It's absolute desert. Okay, go ahead to the next slide. Uh, that's home for them, okay? If you look at their home and you look in the background and around, it looks like a, a house from the 1950s, um, right? It, it, I can't remember if their house is stone or if it is uh, a metal house, okay? But uh, go ahead to our next slide. Um, one of the jobs that Eddie is doing is drilling wells. Okay, he's bringing water to the people. There are no wells in the area he uh, works. The locals will dig a well. It's the children's job to go fetch water. And so the children will carry water buckets. They'll, they'll climb down into the well and feel, fill the buckets and climb back out. Well, every year there's a cave-in. Every year they'll lose one or two children to a cave-in in the well. It's just unimaginable. That's the area they live in. Go ahead to our next slide. Uh, they're putting up solar panels. There's no electricity in the area they live. Go ahead. That's a road. They took a picture of this road because you can see the tire tracks, which meant they had gotten rain recently. They were excited. That's just almost unimaginable living in those kinds of conditions. Go ahead. Uh, I, I put this picture on because this shows one of their vehicles and I don't know if you can see it or not but the tires are cocked the wrong way on the front of the vehicle. They've broken a tie rod end out in the middle of nowhere. And um, the, um, uh, under the comments was, uh, well, what did you do? I said, oh, I had a friend that had a welder. He just welded the tie rod end back together. It's like, we would never drive on a car in the States with a welded tie rod end. We'd get a new one and put it on it. But that's what they're doing to survive there. And again, look at the road they're at. Look at the behind them at the desert area. Go ahead. This is one of their daughters. And I wanted to put this on here because this daughter is getting ready to head back to the U.S. to go to college. Okay. In fact, she's, she's uh, I believe, right now in Alaska going to a camp. She'll go to college this fall. Um, she wants to be a veterinarian. So when you're thinking about, well, do they really need to send their kids off to boarding school? Well, yes, if their kids are going to be able to do what God is calling them to do, then they need a real education. She wants to go to veterinary school. She can't do that and grow up in a mud and stick hut with no schooling. She needs a real school. Okay? They're saying pray for us because our daughter's going back to the States. That's a long ways away. Um, an another thing I would say for her is pray for her. She's never lived in the States. She's only been to the States on furlough. The States have never been home to jail. Okay? Kenya is home to her. That's where she grew up. That's where she, her family lived her whole life. They've come to the States for furlough. So adjusting to that in a school that's a Western style school is important for these kids. Go ahead. This is their ministry. I put Silas up in the corner. He's the student I had in class. And their Facebook post said, praise God for people willing to come out to a Bible study 
in the midst of drought. You can see the people's home right behind them. That's home for the, this tribe of people. Okay, um, an, another Facebook post that Eddie put on um, uh, a while back was he, he shows his, his living room and he's got, uh, I, I believe, three Kenyan men there. The Kenyan men have traveled 40 kilometers to get to his house. And they visited with him and had tea, which would be a very Kenyan thing to do. You would serve tea. Um, and when they get up to leave, they say to Eddie, please, please, Come teach our tribe about Jesus. Come teach our tribe about God. Okay? So, there's a real need and a real hunger for who is God? How do I get to heaven? How do we make things right? This tribal area um, is animistic, meaning they're local tribal religion, and folk Muslim, meaning they're a form of Muslim, but not strict Muslim. Go ahead. 300 million Africans have not. Yeah, no, that was perfect. Put that back up. 300 million Africans have not heard the gospel. 300 million. That's an unimaginable number that don't know the way home. They don't know how to get right with God. And they need it. Go ahead. That's a, that's a very common Kenyan meal. Uh, in fact, this would be a very nice Kenyan meal. It's got, it's got beans, uh, it's got uh, rice, it's got a couple of three kinds of vegetables. Um, if you look in the uh, top, right underneath the red, there's just a little bit of meat, which is the way they eat meat. They can't afford meat. Uh, they don't have a way to refrigerate it. Uh, they might eat meat once or twice a week. Okay, so that would be, if I went to a restaurant in the local village where the school is, that's the kind of meal I would get. Go ahead. Uh, this is where we would buy vegetables, okay. Uh, these are the vegetable ladies. Um, the vegetable ladies before this building was built would carry the vegetables around the school to sell vegetables. Um, one of the missionaries, the guy that was talking about uh, the fact that a kid had gotten into Harvard, um, he allowed the vegetable ladies to use his shed to keep vegetables in, okay, so that uh, she wouldn't have to carry them all the way up to campus. And one day she came up and she went to get her bag on the shed. He's, he's like, oh, let me help you with it. It's like, oh, I don't think you can help me with it. Her bag weighed well over 100 pounds that she was carrying around campus. And he couldn't help her with it. She sent her kids to university selling ve vegetables on campus that way. Go ahead. Um, that's a dorm. So uh, we lived in this dorm. We had fifth and sixth grade boys uh, one year when we were there. Um, the majority of fifth and sixth graders who are coming to the school are going to be Korean. Okay, and we're like, Korean? Right, they're going to be Korean because Korea does not recognize homeschooling as a viable way to educate your kids. And so for the Korean missionaries, they need a certified um, accredited school to serve the children. And so um, out of the, I think we had 10 boys in the dorm, um, we had um, maybe four American kids. The rest were Korean or Kenyan. Um, and of the, of the three or four American kids we had, one had lived in America. The other two had grown up in Kenya. They had gone to America on furlough for a year, but they had grown up in Kenya. Go ahead. 
Uh, this is eighth grade girls. And I wanted to show you this picture because uh, the last time we were there, we were not dorm cover, or we were not uh, dorm parents. I was teaching fifth grade. And so one night a week we did dorm cover, and this is eighth grade girls that we covered their dorm. And um, they would, so we would see them once a week. They would, they would either come to our house or we would go to theirs. They'd hang out, do homework. We'd do a snack, maybe a Bible story, uh, something like that with them. Uh, at the end of the term, we'd kind of have a little party with them. And so we did a pancake throw. So we made pancakes on the griddle. We threw them up in the air and let the girls catch them. So out of the uh, 10 girls there, uh, those 10 eighth grade girls, I think they ate six batches of pancakes. So it's like, yeah, because they're eighth grade girls, you know, we can eat nonstop and they had a ball. So, uh, but you can see the mix there. In this group of girls, there were Korean girls, there were Kenyan girls, uh, there was a girl from Brazil, and there were American kids, okay? That's who your missionaries are. That's who your missionaries are. Go ahead. One of the outreaches that we do when we're there, or that we had been doing up until COVID, uh, and this stopped at COVID, and I'm hoping when we go back, that COVID will be historical enough that we can begin this outreach again. We would go down with a group of high school students, and on the, on the back edge, uh, the kids kind of standing up back there, those, that's our high school students from the school. We would go down to a village called Mayu Mayu. Mayu Mayu is um, on the main highway that runs from Mombasa, the coast of Africa, the coast of Kenya, all the way into the heart of Africa. You can drive this highway from Mombasa all the way into Uganda and then into uh, the, the Congo, okay? That's how they ship goods, okay? They drive goods up this highway. This village is a truck stop, okay? Well, a, a truck stop in Kenya means all the things that a truck stop means. And this village was at one time considered to be 75% HIV positive, okay? 75% HIV positive. We would walk through the village. We would just call out on a Sunday morning. We'd call out and the kids would come out and we would play games with them and then we would tell them a Bible story. And so that's what's going on here is the kids are getting ready to tell a Bible story. And so Elwood, he's uh, the staff member. Uh, he's, he's introducing what's going to happen. Uh, and then you can see right behind Elwood, um, a Kenyan guy standing there. And the Kenyan guy is the son of Pastor Peter. Pastor Peter, and, and we'll talk, I'll talk a little bit more about him in just a minute. Pastor Peter is a Kenyan pastor. He has served his whole life as a pastor. He is a very uh, clearly Christian. And he would help us with this ministry with doing translating. Okay, he had relationship, he lived in this village. Uh, I think by this time he lived in this village and uh, he would translate for the kids into probably Swahili, but maybe Kikuyu, okay? And um, Pastor Peter is training his son to take over the ministry. Like, that's fantastic. That, that heritage of Christian growth is what we want. Okay, and so I'm thrilled when, when Pastor Peter is doing that. Um, I was down there one Sunday morning, uh, and we were, you know, jump rope with the kids and soccer with the kids and whatnot, and we're running around, and Pastor Peter is across, and he starts waving to me, standing there talking to a Kenyan lady who's maybe in her 20s. He waves me over. And I get over there, and she looks at me and says, do you remember me? 
Well, I have to say, I'm sorry I don't. She said, I was a kid who came to this ministry. When I was a child, I came there. And she's got a five-year-old boy running around. Like, oh, that's great. You can stay. Why don't you stay and your boy can join it? No, 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 she says. I'm on my way to church. God won. We're, we're doing outreach to this village that's 75% HIV positive. And this lady comes as a little girl to a street ministry. But when she's grown, her son is not going to a street ministry. He's going to church. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. That they have moved from being a street kid to being involved in a local church. So, go ahead. This is, uh, I was, said I was going to talk about Pastor Peter a little bit more. Uh, Pastor Peter was a missionary to the Maasai. Pastor Peter was Kikuyu. Okay, and so you're cross-cultural when you're crossing tribal lines. He's Kikuyu, he's a missionary to the Maasai. And he started, I can't remember, five, maybe five churches in Maasai land, in the valley floor. This is one of the churches. And uh, he started those churches by getting on his bicycle and riding out into Maasai land and, and preaching and talking and meeting with people. And uh, so we decided one Sunday we would take him out to uh, preach at one of the churches he helped start. And so we drove out to this church. Now, Pastor Peter had been riding his bicycle out there. We drove. It took us an hour to drive. So how far was he riding? I don't know. A long, long ways in absolute dust. The dust was so thick it was filtering in around the seals in the car. And our kids were getting dust in the back of the car. That's how much dust was blowing in. This is a very traditional Maasai church. Very traditional. It was an interesting experience in that um, we're there at church um, and they say, oh, we'll have an interpreter. I'm like, great, Pastor Peter's going to preach. Somebody's going to interpret. So Pastor Preacher, uh, Peter preaches in Swahili and they interpret into Maasai. So I'm sitting in a church service with an interpreter and I can't understand anything they're saying. Like, and yet they're praising God. Yet they're praising God and that's where we wanted to be. Go ahead. So, we get this question a lot, is it safe? I mean, well, I mean, is it safe? So, I, I grabbed this quote, it's from the Lion, Witch in the Wardrobe. Safe, Mr. Beaver says, and they're talking about Aslan, the lion, in the, in the Lion, Witch in the Wardrobe. Safe, said Mr. Beaver, don't you hear what me, Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And of course, we know that's an allusion to God. It's not, guys, about being safe. It's about being with God. It's about being, doing what God is calling us to do. So it's not about safe. Go ahead. Oh, by the way, it's not unsafe either. I've never felt any less safe there than I feel here. Uh, the school, the compounds fenced. Uh, that happened after uh, 1998. Uh, the U.S. Embassy, if you remember history, the U.S. Embassy is bombed in Kenya. The Kenyan population, the Kenyan locals, come to the school and say, your school's not fenced, it's the only school not fenced, all schools are fenced, build a fence. So they finally did. They didn't want to build a fence, they did not want to shut themselves off from the community. But they built a fence when the community came and said, you've got to build a fence, all schools are fenced. So go ahead. 
Um, this is Martha and David. Uh, Martha uh, was our houseworker. Okay, it was very common to have houseworkers there. It's a way to help out the local community. Um, Martha had worked for my brother's roommate when he was a child. So uh, Dan uh, had gone to Kenya when he was about five years old. And Martha had been their house helper. And so Dan had grown up with Martha's kids. Um, Martha um, was a strong, strong Christian. Okay, absolutely completely understood the need for Christ. Um, John and Dan uh, one time had had a bunch of the students to their house, made this big mess, uh, and they were apologizing to Martha the next morning about, oh, Martha, we're so sorry. There's such a mess. Martha was like, no, 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 no. Your ministry is to the kids, and my ministry is to help you do that. She completely understood the need for these kids to understand Christ. Um, Martha volunteered for 20 years at the local Kenyan school, to the local Kenyan boys school, high school, to teach Bible. Okay? She could handle herself with anybody. At the local Kenyan boys school, you've got to be strong. And Martha was definitely a strong strong believer. So uh, David, her husband, you can see there. Uh, this is where they would go to buy uh, clothing. We actually buy clothing at markets like this. Um, it's, it's generally safe to go to these kind of places. Of course, you've got to watch out for pickpockets and that kind of thing. You have to do that in New York City, in downtown Kansas City. I mean, that's no different. So um, you can see the, there's kind of a village behind them. Go ahead. I put this slide up because I just wanted you to have a view of this is the children of missionaries, okay? And the, the little boy in the red shirt and the girl next to him, their brother and sister, their parents live in Pennsylvania. No, their parents are from Pennsylvania. They live in Kenya. Um, we actually saw their, their dad last week. Uh, their dad is now my son's father-in-law. He married uh, their older sister. Um, they're, but they're missionaries from Pennsylvania. His, uh, her dad is a, or their dad is a count teacher at the high school. Uh, the little girl, the two little girls next to them are actually sisters. One of them, is, of course, is adopted. Uh, they're Australian, okay? They're missionaries out of Australia. Their dad's at a doctor at the hospital right below us. Um, next to her, or those two little girls, is a little girl that grew up in Hawaii slash Colorado, okay? Um, and she was there with her mom. Her dad actually had passed away, okay? And then the next two girls are mine. So, when we, one of the times we were there. So, uh, yeah, that giraffe is right behind us. We're, we're down at a local uh, hotel swimming, uh, and the, the giraffes will, will uh, wander around there, and zebra, and, and hippos, and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's who the missionary kids are. Okay, go ahead. So, who are you when you think about the crowd around Jesus? Don't be the Pharisee that is so tied up in the way you want things to go that you miss what God's doing. God's at work around you. Be responsive to that. Okay? Be part of the crowd that's giving praise to what God's doing. Okay? The owner, be willing to give toward the work that God's doing. 
if God's prompting you to give towards something he's doing, there's many needs right here in Independence, okay, that, that need people who will step in and give to help that out. There, there's needs across the world, and of course there's needs in Africa, okay? What's God prompting you to do? Don't miss that. Are you being called to go? I had no idea. I was working as an electrician. I had no idea when God started prompting me to go back to college and get a degree and start teaching elementary school that he was going to use that to call me to Africa. I had no idea. But God's prompting, follow it. He speaks in a still small voice. You know, when Isaiah is looking for God, it's that still small voice. It's not the thunder. It's not the lightning. It's not the wind. It's that still small voice that's God moving. Be attentive to that. Be attentive to that. Go ahead. So this, oh my goodness, I've just drawn a blink on her name. I, um... Crumb, I'll think of it a little bit. Uh, her dad was a doctor right below uh, our mission station. Uh, the, so, or, or on the mission station, right below the school. So, the, the mission station is a school for the children of missionaries and a seminary for Kenyans and a hospital for the sick. Okay? And her dad's uh, uh, there working at the hospital. Uh, they actually moved from, I believe, Peru to Kenya because there was a school available, okay? They, she has an older sister and two older brothers, um, and they needed a school for their children. So their, their parents are very much involved in mission work, but they had to go to a place where there was a school. So they came to Kenya to work at the hospital there because there was a school available. Go ahead. This, uh, this guy, Cal is his name. We actually had him in the dorm when we had fifth and sixth grade uh, dorm. Uh, his dad is a professor. Uh, I believe he teaches math at a university in a country we can't tell you about. Okay? And so when you think of Cal, he's living in an area that is not safe for them to go out. For them to go to the market, they need an armed guard with them. That's the way, that's where they live, okay? Um, but his dad has a great influence in the university. If you're in a university, students want to know what you think, what you believe, what you're teaching. And so it's a real mission field, but Cal needs a boarding school that he can go to so that he is free to learn. He is free to move about. He is free to have friends and enjoy being a kid. Go ahead. So I had this picture on here. Cal is the one with the uh, United States flag on his uh, shirt. And then on the far end is Ben. And Ben is an Anderson. And I had Ben's cousin and Cal's little sister in class one time. And I realized that they're having this really serious discussion in the back of the room. Like, what are they talking about? And so I, and the kids are kind of gathering around this discussion. And of course, it's fifth grade, you know. I mean, who knows what they might be talking about. So I said to one of the kids, what are they talking about? They're trying to decide whose family ended up on the continent first. Both of these children 
Cal and Ben uh, and Ben's cousin, uh, both of their families, um, for, I know for Ben, it is Ben's great, great grandfather went to Africa, I believe in 1908. Okay, Ben lives there his whole life there. America's a foreign land to him. Cal's parents both attended RVA as children. 